Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I'd like to uh, put together where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my thoughts, takes, and observations about what's going on in the stock market and the whole investing world, as well as other people's perspectives on uh, stocks and ETFs. And finally, it's also a little podcast that I like to use to share with you my thought processes that I incorporate into my own personal investment decisions. The goal here really is to share with you some some ideas, some nuggets of information that hopefully you're going to be able to take back into your own personal circumstance and hopefully will help you make uh, better and ultimately more successful investment decisions. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I try to help people who, who really are striving to become more financially independent. The problem is, in the journey to become financially independent, uh, especially as it pertains to stocks and investing, people tend to get frustrated, intimidated, and confused by the whole concept. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing, or they've been investing for a long time but just aren't seeing their portfolios grow the way they thought they would grow. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more, make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and, and achieve it with confidence. So today, today is my last in a series of podcasts that I've been doing uh, regarding my investment decisions that I made in February, and more specifically, the, dis- uh, the, the investment decisions that I made during the time early February where the market was just really, really going crazy, and we were just seeing like 1,500-point swings in the Dow Jones industrial average. Um, it was a pretty crazy time. and. You know the big thing for investors as as investors is how do we deal with those 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 moments, which are bound to happen and are always going to happen. Um, it's important to deal with them. And so in the last few episodes, last three podcasts, I've kind of walked shared with you um, the thought process that I've used uh, that have led me to that led me to make some decisions during that period of time. I didn't just sort of sit there and just let it all happen. I and, and, and again, it's the benefit of having a plan and a strategy that I was able to leverage that and execute uh, a few things. So in the previous episodes, I've talked about some of the decisions that I made that involved buying more stock in companies that I already held, and as well as selling some sh- uh, shares. And the last couple of episodes, I've also talked about some decisions where I bought new shares, but took new positions in in a couple of stocks. And today's my in the last in this in this little series here, in this little mini series, I'm going to share with you the third uh, stock that I decided to add uh, to my portfolio. And there's a little bit of a twist at the end to this to this decision, uh, which I will leave towards the end. So today, I'm going to talk about my decision to buy shares in. At what was called at one point when I bought them uh, was called Priceline, Priceline.com. But since uh, the new year, the company's actually just recently the company changed their name. Uh, they're no longer Priceline, Priceline.com. They are now Booking Holdings, and the ticker symbol now is BKNG. So in February, when the market was going kind of crazy, uh, I looked at uh, Booking. Priceline was a, was a stock that I had on my wish list, but I just kind of never was able to pull the trigger on buying it because I just thought the stock was too pricey. Um, but sure enough, during February, the the price, the stock, which was trading in around the $2,100 level, um, fell to almost $1,700, $1,730, I think was when I bought in. And uh, 
it was at that point that I kind of looked at the company and I just made a decision saying, you know what, I think this is a good time for me to get in. So I made a decision to get in. Now, now I just didn't kind of just wake up that day on that particular morning and just say, you know what, I'm going to buy Booking Holdings. There was a thought process. As I said, this was a stock I had on my list. I, I did some homework on this stock already in terms of the analysis. And so I'm going to share with you, just, the, just in the same fashion that I share it with you in the other episodes, uh, previous episodes with Baidu and uh, Walmart, I want to walk you through some of the key questions that I, I answered, I tried to answer, that led me to that decision to buy shares in it. And I, in terms of investing, one of the key real competencies you got to have is, is having having that framework um, of questions of and having sort of that curiosity about a company and the stock. Because ultimately, I think that, from my experience, that's the where, by asking questions and kind of building a framework and a methodology to evaluate and size up a company, you're going to, at the end of it, you're going to have a pretty good idea whether you're going to buy the stock or you're going to sell it or not even go there or just put it on a wish list kind of thing. So to me, every time I'm looking at a company, I'm asking myself eight basic fundamental questions and as this, as like in the other episodes I'm just going to walk you through the eight questions and how I answer them as a result of uh, in relation to to bookings uh, booking holdings so the first question I always ask myself uh, when I'm looking at a company is what do they do what do they sell what is their value proposition what makes them unique compared to other other businesses other similar type businesses so when you're looking at price, I'm booking holdings. Actually, I'm going to call it Priceline because it just, it just comes off my mouth a little bit. Tongue better than booking holdings. I just get tongue-tied, it seems like, with it. So I'm going to call it Priceline for the rest of this episode. Um, so what are they? What is Priceline all about? Essentially what they are is just it's just a website, a, a whole suite of websites um, that sell um, travel. travel. It's a travel and leisure reservation system. Systems. And... When I think of, you know, my, you know, Priceline, you, you can't, you know, if you've seen the commercials and you've seen the William Shatner commercials, um, Priceline has always been in my mind to be one of those kind of cheesy Velveeta kind of companies. And, you know, when you got William Shatner kind of being your, your anchor or spokesperson, you kind of get that vibe about it. Um, and my only experience using, I, I've booked a trip through Priceline way back and, in its kind of original iteration when it first came out, it was essentially almost like a let's make a deal kind of thing. Like you pick a place in an area and you pick a region and you pick how much you may want to spend and then it's going to just, and you book it and the website would just tell you like, like almost like a let's make a deal, like what's behind curtain number three. You'll find out what you, what you, what you got, what, which hotel you're staying in and what trip, what flight you got in and everything like that. And that was kind of their, their thing. It was kind of a bit of a, kind of a schlocky kind of um, portal, which is so different compared to a traditional reservation or going to a travel agent and say, hey, I want to go to Cancun. I would like to go on this date. What are the prices available? Okay, I'll take this flight. Uh, Priceline was in its original iteration was, and still is to a certain extent, um, was kind of reversed and in that sense that the the mechanism you the travel the airfare was kind of the last thing you knew you took you were you first pretty much had to put your price points down and then it would kind of mysteriously decide for you what what you're going to go on and sometimes it's it's almost like playing let's make a deal it's almost playing like roulette um, you'd have no idea what you're going to get in a sense and that was what they were all about and that's my perception has always been my perception of Priceline but 
when I started reading up about a, bit, a little bit about it and see who they are and what they're structured, there's a lot more to this company than just William Shatner commercials and let's make a deal. Uh, they own the real engine that, <clears throat> that drives um, Priceline is actually their booking.com website, which is a very traditional um, online uh, travel reservation site. And little did I know that a real significant portion of the company's revenues and their growth has come from the booking.com. And hence, that has led to the, their, their decision to change their name of the company away from uh, Priceline to, to Booking Holdings to, uh, to reflect the fact that the engine of this company is really booking.com. They also own some other uh, websites. They own Kayak. Um, and then they also own uh, Open Table, which is the restaurant reservation uh, portal website, um, which I didn't know. I thought the Open Table was on its own, but um, Priceline, they own Open Table. So essentially, when I look at Priceline, what do they offer? They're essentially offering kind of like that one stop shopping for, for travel and leisure. You know, you book an airflare, flight, um, hotel, cars, um, and, and now um, eating, uh, accommodation, eating, entertainment. So it's almost like a one-stop shop for travel and leisure for, you know, the whole travel experience. And uh, that's what they are. That's what, so that's what they're about. Uh, second question I ask myself is who do they compete with? Are there any competitors in this travel, online travel reservation sphere? Travel industry is obviously a huge, huge um, part of our lives because we're always on the move. And it kind of goes in line with sort of one of my core uh, investing pillars, which is uh, uh, transportation, travel, uh, transportation. We, we're always, as, as people, we're always on the move, and there's always going to be a demand for getting from point A to point B, whether it be for business-related or work-related or entertainment-related. We're always on the move. So in this space, it's expected to be a very competitive space, and it is. And so the, the natural competitor for, for, for Priceline in the online world uh, would be Expedia. And then I kind of dug down and I thought, you know, maybe there's some other players too. When you look at it from the you know automobile side of it, you have Uber and Lyft. Um, you have Google who's in there. They have the flights, the Google flights um, portal that they have. There's hotels.com and then there's TripAdvisor. They do the same thing too. And, uh, and then Trivago is another one. You see that guy on that TV all the time. So there's a lot of players here in this space. So which is Priceline going to be kind of like, is this like a price, heavily priced competition kind of thing? Because when people go to these sites now, it's really they're trying to get the best deal and the best bargain with it. So I would expect to be a very kind of low, low price point kind of hyper competitive type of space, the whole travel side of it. Um, so Lisa, to the next question, what kind of led into the next question is who would, who Who's their customer base? Who buys their products and services? Well, essentially, I, I kind of alluded to it. The people you know who travel are traveling for work or they're traveling for play. And ultimately, what they're looking for is they're looking for a deal. They're looking for when they're going on a price line or an Expedia, they're shopping for the best price to get them from point A to point B. So it's very much almost a commodity kind of uh, people are look, view these services as, as a commodity kind of service. Um, and then at least the next question, will they buy their products over and over again? And that's an important thing I want to look for as an investor because, you know, companies, I don't want companies, I want to buy, invest in companies that can consistently generate revenue. And if they're going to generate revenue, the chances are they might generate more profit over a long period of time and be 
you know, economically viable and hopefully create value. So I want to invest company in companies that can consistently generate revenue. And so, again, the nature of travel, be getting from point A to point B, I don't think there's ever going to be, you know, there are going to be economically sensitive periods, ups and downs, but at the core, people are always moving. And so I could see people, if Priceline provides a really good experience and a really good competitive price point, that people could come back to Priceline and any of their suite of uh, of websites to 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 uh, to get the services that they need. That's being said, do they make any money? And that's the next question I always ask myself: Is this company profitable? Is this company creating tangible wealth for its shareholders? Because ultimately, stock markets are going to reward companies that are, cr- are creating tangible wealth, and they're going to penalize companies that cannot do that. So when I looked at the financial performance of Priceline, it's pretty, I was kind of blown away. I, I, I didn't realize how incredibly um, profitable this company is. When I look at it from, uh, and when I talk about profit, one of the ways I measure financial performance is looking at a company's economic profit, which is simply taking the company's returns on invested capital and subtracting from it the cost of capital. And if a company is generating positive, has a positive return on invested capital, um, it's creating tangible wealth for its shareholders. It's creating wealth internally, organically, and ultimately um, stock markets, investors will put a premium on that kind of company's stock that, had, that demonstrates that ability to consistently c- create wealth. So when I looked at Priceline, if you looked at it over the last three years, the company has been generating returns on invested capital between 52 and 77%. And when you compare it to the company's cost of capital, which is 10%, that's like crazy economic profit it's it's doing it's generating a lot of really good tangible wealth and ultimately that's what i want to see as an investor when i looked at the revenue growth the revenues are growing in about a 13 to 15 percent range which is which is great so um from a from a financial performance perspective this company is definitely uh firing on all cylinders um and that makes me want to dig down a little bit deeper into asking more questions if the company wasn't doing that not generating economic profit i probably would stop my analysis right there because ultimately i want to invest in companies that are profitable that are creating value and wealth for their shareholders and do it very consistently so so far it seems like priceline is is doing that kind of job doing it um the next question that I ask is then, what do they own and who do they owe money to? This is really where I look at the company's financial position. Are they financially strong? Are they going to be in business for a long time? Or are they in a, in a point where they may just have to shut down? So when I looked at Priceline, their financial position is pretty strong. They have, um, when I looked at their current assets to current liabilities, the current ratio, um, the ratio is two is over two, which means they have twice as much current assets over as current liabilities. So, in terms of liquidity, they have more than enough liquidity is flowing and more than enough capital uh, flowing in the company that they can operate meet their day to day operational requirements. And that's important because if they don't, then you go to business. So liquidity seems to be there. It definitely has. It almost has. Um, its cash level is actually large enough now. That they have more cash than they have long term debt. So if they wanted to retire their debt pay off their debt tomorrow. They have more than enough cash in the bank to do that. Again, another sign of a really financially strong company. Um, the quality of their assets is another thing I look at. I look at the percentage of assets that are intangible, you know, consider goodwill, intangible 
uh, type assets. And for Priceline, about 20% of their assets are classified as intangible, which is kind of at my max point of where I like to see companies um, in terms of ratio. I don't like to see companies with like 50-60% of their assets um, in intangible. It means they don't really have any hard assets and could open up potentially a lot of volatility in terms of uh, future performance down the road. So overall, when I look at the financial performance of Priceline, it looks pretty solid. The next question I ask then talks about risk. I ask about how risky is the business? What out there in terms of potential competitive forces, political forces, economic, social forces out there could potentially take the company down a notch or two or really impair the company? Um, you know, at the surface, Priceline is just a bunch of websites. And so one of the risks I see is, is that the barriers, I would think, is that the barriers to entry into this whole travel, online travel area would be pretty easy. I think it would be pretty easy to set up a website and sell flights and plane and rent, you know, cars to anybody um, if you set up the right agreements. You know, there's nothing. And so when I think about it, I go, there's, what's stopping Google or Amazon from setting up their own travel, online travel service? Google already kind of is in there with Google Flights. They're doing it. Um, but Amazon, like to me, like to me for Amazon, this would be a, a much more easier entry uh, business to get into than the whole healthcare thing that they're talking about. Um, <clears throat> so to me, that's kind of a risk factor is, you know, there's a lot of competition right now and it's very easy to get a lot of more competition, which could put pressure on pricing and potentially put pressure on profits. It hasn't happened so far with Priceline because when you're generating, you know, 52% return on invested capital, that's that's pretty solid. So right now, it doesn't seem to be an issue right now. Um, you know, that being all said, I think despite these risks out there, or these threats that, you know, entries, uh, future competition, I think the company also has a really great opportunity to almost position itself as being kind of that go-to ecosystem for travel, or, or as I said, the, the OS for travel services. If it kind of made a few strategic moves like like maybe even partnering up or even buying out companies like Uber or TripAdvisor, it could really position itself as being a kind of a one-stop solution for travel services. And, um, you know, I, I know, kind of the inspiration for thinking this way is really comes down is by Scott Galloway. He actually wrote about this in one of his blogs and it led to my, one of my previous blogs that I talked about in terms of searching for the next great stock. Um, he has a section in one of his blogs that kind of got me thinking about um, Priceline and Expedia, and this is what he said. He said, by leveraging uh, artificial intelligence, cheap capital, and relationships with 40, 40 million of the planet's wealthiest customers every month, Uber, and he talks about Uber, and Uber should be expanding its offering dramatically. Instead of entering um, you know, London Airport, where I'm headed Sunday morning, I type in London, and then using AI, connecting the dots of my preferences, economic weight class, deals at the time, APIs, and Uber would then present to me the best options, not just to get to the airport, but the flight to JFK, the flight to London, um, the car that's going to pick me up, and the hotel that I stay at, and then the reservations for dinner that night. And to me, he, he talked about it in the context of Uber, but I could see Priceline or bookings being kind of one of these companies that could set it up. They already have that base there, and I think they built out some kind of, um, you know, they have the data there that they could actually build out some kind of AI component 
where and then if they partner it up with with some really good big players like TripAdvisor, um, Uber, um, Expedia or something like that, or just even merge with Expedia, they could create this really dominant ecosystem that would be pretty hard for a company like Amazon or Apple or Google to even penetrate. So I think that's really when I started looking at Priceline. This is kind of what jumped out at me as the real potential for this company. Whether it can actually do it is another thing. But you know, when I'm looking at this company as a stock, I'm really looking at it for the future. And as much as it's doing a great job in its current form, there's a lot of potential for this company to do some really main things and really entrench itself as sort of the dominant brand and that best of breed brand of tra for travel. Um, so there are risks, but there's also opportunities with this with this company and with the stock. Finally, the question, last question I ask is: After all of this, seems like a really cool company. Seems like they're generating good financial performance. They seem financially strong. Is the stock cheap? And when I looked at the stock, from what I've been able to dig up in terms of valuation, the valuation on terms of when I was looking at the company initially was coming in between $1,600 and $2,400 per share. And when I started to look at the stock in late January or early January, the stock was trading in around the $2,100 range. But then, as I said, February happened, the markets kind of freaked out, and the next thing you know, the stock for no real change or anything was down to almost $1,700. It went down to about $1,730. I tried to figure out if there was anything fundamentally wrong. They weren't reporting anything in terms of earnings guidance or anything. Um, it just got, it was just kind of like the classic, it got a, during when everybody was panicking a little bit there, the stock kind of got taken down and got thrown out with the bathwater. And when I looked at it at a $1,700 level, I thought there was definitely some potential for the stock to at least get 25, 30% upside at that point. Um, and so that's really what led me to make the decision. I factored in, you know, this is a company, a solid performing company. It's operates some of the best, you know, best well-known online travel portals out there. Um, and it's creating tangible wealth, strong financial position. There are some risks, but there's definitely some opportunities. And uh, when I put all these elements together, I thought, you know what, this was a problem. To me, I thought this was a really good way, a good entry point. And uh, so I bought in. I bought in at about $1,730. And that was my decision. So that's what I did. So now the kind of the twist on all this. After I bought it in February, um, Within a month, um, the stock just popped. It popped almost 25%. It, it had an earnings report that was really solid. The market loved it. And all of a sudden, I was faced with a decision because one of my, if you've been following my, my blog and my podcasts, you know that I kind of, part of my personal investing playbook, I like to kind of, when it, if a stock that I own crosses a 20% return level for me, I like to reevaluate it and see if it's um, worth holding on to or selling. And a lot of times I tend to, 20% is kind of my sell point, a return that I'm looking on for, for minimum return I'm looking on investment. So it was really surprising that I bought it like in February and literally a month later it was up 25%. The stock was up to $2,100. And I bought it at seventeen thirty, and it went up to twenty one hundred dollars. And so, as I said, I'm not usually one to be kind of like trading stocks. I like to buy stocks and hold them for long periods of time. But I was faced with a decision here: 
Should I continue holding it or should I bank the profit and come back another day? And as I said, after going through all this analysis um, and evaluation, I still like the company. I like what it does. And I think the potential for the stock in the company is really solid. But for me, a, 25, a quick 25% return was something I just said, you know what, I'm, I feel more comfortable banking it. Um, I'm comfortable with my risk. It's, comf- it's in line with my risk tolerance or my comfort level with risk. Um, the market's very emotional right now and very volatile. I just thought, you know what, I'll just sell into this, into this bounce and uh, you know, I'm going to keep it on my watch list. And if it pops back down again into the, under the 2000 level and the fundamentals of the business are the same, Hell, I'll go back in. So that's what I did. And essentially, that's what I did. I sold it. I sold it and I made about 26, oh, I forget, 26% return on it. And, uh, you know, hey, it was, it was a nice pleasant surprise sometimes. As I said, investing is weird, right? Sometimes you buy a stock and it'll take you four years, five years to generate the return you're looking for. And sometimes you'll buy it and it'll generate a return in three weeks. Um, that That's the way investing goes. So... That's my decision. So that's that was my final investment decision that I made during that real crazy time in February, and uh, yeah, this is one that kind of so far has, has was uh, ended up having a, a, a pretty good happy ending to it. The other ones are obviously still in progress, and uh, we'll see how those ones pan out. And I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll be there to give you the updates on those ones as we as we go forward. So that's all I got for you this week. If you have any questions about this episode or any of the previous episodes related to my February investment decisions, you can find me. You can drop me a line through email, my, uh, my website, sageinvestors.ca. Drop me a line there if you have a question about these episodes or any questions about my inve- uh, coaching services, investment coaching services, or my online courses or in-person investing courses that I teach. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. My uh, Facebook page is Sage Investors. I post all my blog posts and other articles that I uh, come across on there as well. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Sage Investors. I'm on there tweeting all the time about, uh, in real time, about decisions that I'm making as well as interesting observations that I'm seeing uh, from other people out there in the market uh, who are out there in the market too. And finally, just want to let you know too that um, I'm on Instagram now, and so you can find me also at uh, Sage Investors Nation. Uh, look for me, Sage Investors Nation. I uh, try to get on there a little bit. Not, I'm not. I'm still trying to figure out the whole Instagram scene. So, um, but I'm on there. So you feel free to follow me through there. I try to post some stuff from my website and my blog and podcasts on there, as well as videos. I'm on there posting videos, uh, not every day, but every almost every other day, with some quick hot takes about what's going on in the news and what's going on in the markets uh, in real time. Uh, if you're interested, also, every Wednesday I send out, every Wednesday morning I send out an email, I call it In The Loop, where I share with you some of my, um, whenever I update stuff on my site or add new content, like my blogs or my mind map videos or any other videos, uh, I usually post them, the uh, people on the, I, I post it on my, I send it out on an email, so if you want kind of that email alert, along with some uh, articles and observations that I'm seeing in the market, um, some really interesting articles that I'm using and reading and digesting in terms of how I'm making investment decisions. Um, I put it all in that email. I send it every Wednesday morning. So if you're interested, you can just uh, go to my website, sageinvestors.ca, and just put drop your email, and boom, get on the list. And uh, every Wednesday morning when you wake up, boom, it'll be in your inbox. So lots of stuff going on. 
Um, and that's pretty much it right now. That's all I got for you. So thanks very much for listening in to Stop Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>